Chapter Twenty One of the Princess and Curdie by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Loaf. His Majesty slept very quietly. The dawn had grown almost day, and still Curdie lingered, unwilling to disturb the princess. At last, however, he called her, and she was in the room in a moment. She had slept, she said, and felt quite fresh. Delighted to find her father still asleep, and so peacefully, she pushed her chair close to the bed, and sat down with her hands in her lap. Curdie got his mattock from where he had hidden it behind a great mirror, and went to the cellar, followed by Lena. They took some breakfast with them as they passed through the hall, and as soon as they had eaten it, went out the back way. At the mouth of the passage, Curdie seized the rope, drew himself up, pushed away the shutter, and entered the dungeon. Then he swung the end of the rope to Lena, and she caught it in her teeth. When her master said, "'Now, Lena,' she gave a great spring, and he ran away with the end of the rope as fast as ever he could. And such a spring had she made, that by the time he had to bear her weight, she was within a few feet of the hole. The instant she got a paw through, she was all through. Apparently their enemies were waiting till hunger should have cowed them, for there was no sign of any attempt having been made to open the door. A blow or two of Curdie's mattock drove the shattered lock clean from it, and telling Lena to wait there till he came back and let no one in, he walked out into the silent street and drew the door to behind him. He could hardly believe it was not yet a whole day since he had been thrown in there with his hands tied at his back. Down the town he went, walking in the middle of the street, that, if anyone saw him, he might see he was not afraid, and hesitate to rouse an attack on him. As to the dogs, ever since the death of their two companions, a shadow that looked like a mattock was enough to make them scamper. As soon as he reached the archway of the city gate, he turned to reconnoitre the baker's shop, and, perceiving no sign of movement, waited there watching for the first. After about an hour the door opened, and the baker's man appeared with a pail in his hand. He went to a pump that stood in the street, and, having filled his pail, returned with it into the shop. Curdie stole after him, found the door on the latch, opened it very gently, peeped in, saw nobody, and entered. Remembering perfectly from what shelf the baker's wife had taken the loaf she said was the best, and seeing just one upon it, he seized it, laid the price of it on the counter, and sped softly out and up the street. Once more in the dungeon beside Lena, his first thought was to fasten up the door again, which would have been easy, so many iron fragments of all sorts and sizes lay about. But he bethought himself that, if he left it as it was, and they came to find him, they would conclude at once that they had made their escape by it, and would look no further so as to discover the hole. He therefore merely pushed the door close and left it, then once more carefully arranging the earth behind the shutter, so that it should again fall with it, he returned to the cellar. And now he had to convey the loaf to the princess. If he could venture to take it himself, well, if not, he would send Lena. He crept to the door of the servants' hall, and found the sleepers beginning to stir. One said it was time to go to bed, another that he would go to the cellar instead, and have a mug of wine to waken him up, while a third challenged a fourth to give him his revenge at some game or other. 
"'Oh, hang your losses,' answered his companion. "'You'll soon pick up twice as much about the house, if you but keep your eyes open.' Perceiving there would be risk in attempting to pass through, and reflecting that the porters in the great hall would probably be awake also, Curdie went back to the cellar, took Irene's handkerchief with a loaf in it, tied it round Lena's neck, and told her to take it to the princess. Using every shadow and every shelter, Lena slid through the servants like a shapeless terror through a guilty mind, and so, by corridor and great hall, up the stairs to the king's chamber. Irene trembled a little when she saw her glide soundless in across the silent dusk of the morning that filtered through the heavy drapery of the windows, but she recovered herself at once when she saw the bundle about her neck, for it both assured her of Curdie's safety and gave her hope of her father's. She untied it with joy, and Lena stole away, silent as she had come. Her joy was the greater that the king had woke up a little while before, and expressed a desire for food. Not that he felt exactly hungry, he said, and yet he wanted something. If only he might have a piece of nice fresh bread. Irene had no knife, but with eager hands she broke a great piece from the loaf, and poured out a full glass of wine. The king ate and drank, enjoyed the bread and the wine much, and instantly fell asleep again. It was hours before the lazy people brought their breakfast. When it came, Irene crumbled a little about, threw some into the fireplace, and managed to make the tray look just as usual. In the meantime, down below in the cellar, Curdie was lying in the hollow between the upper sides of two of the great casks, the warmest place he could find. Lena was watching. She lay at his feet, across the two casks, and did her best so to arrange her huge tail that it should be a warm coverlid for her master. By and by Dr. Kelman called to see his patient, and now that Irene's eyes were opened, she saw clearly enough that he was both annoyed and puzzled at finding his majesty rather better. He pretended, however, to congratulate him, saying he believed he was quite fit to see the Lord Chamberlain. He wanted his signature to something important. Only he must not strain his mind to understand it, whatever it might be. If his majesty did, he would not be answerable for the consequences. The king said he would see the Lord Chamberlain, and the doctor went. Then Irene gave him more bread and wine, and the king ate and drank, and smiled a feeble smile the first real one she had seen for many a day. He said he felt much better, and would soon be able to take matters into his own hands again. He had a strange, miserable feeling, he said, that things were going terribly wrong, although he could not tell how. Then the princess told him that Curdie was come, and that at night, when all was quiet, for nobody in the palace must know, he would pay his majesty a visit." Her great-great-grandmother had sent him, she said. The king looked strangely upon her, but the strange look passed into a smile clearer than the first, and Irene's heart throbbed with delight. End of chapter 21 Recording by Hannah Mary